How many people grew up in the church? Anyone? Raise their hand. How many people? Go on. Go on. It's not embarrassing. Put it up. Put it up. Put it up. Put it up. All right, you grew up in the church. Okay, then when you were a kid, you had to learn children's hymns, right? And the problem with children's hymns are they will get stuck in your head all day. You'll sing them for like five minutes, whole rest of the day, it'll just keep running through. Do you guys remember this one? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world, right? All right, now the whole rest of the day, you're going to be singing that in your head. Whole rest of the day, you're going to be sitting at lunch, you're going to be eating your tacos, you're going to be like, <laughs> right? You know that song was written in the early 1900s? I never knew it was that old. In the early 1900s, to a Civil War beat, that beat is actually called uh, Tramp, Tramp, Tramp. It was a Civil War song, and this pastor actually wrote the lyrics to it. It was from the early 1900s, believe it or not. It does have significance to the message today. Don't think I was just trying to get you off topic. It'll all tie back in. Um, But today's message is specifically um, tough in regards to children. And that's why I kind of wanted to preface it with that, is today's... um, focus that we're going to talk about, and it's, it's very close to my heart because it affects children so much. Remember that we're uh, in week two of this series entitled Heartbeat to Hands and Feet, and the, the whole point of this uh, message series is to talk about a bigger mission than our own, a global mission that stands before us. Um, the idea from it came from Psalm 107, and if you have your Bible, just like last week, you can open it up to Psalm 107. We're going to look at it in just a, a few minutes. Um, but last week, I started talking to you about this, this psalm in which four different types of people in the psalm cry out to the Lord. Four different types of people, people sitting in different situations in life, turn to God and they, 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 they cry out, Lord, help. And I, I was telling you guys, it's kind of that moment where you realize there's nothing you can do to fix the situation. And all you have left is just to, to yell out to God that he could be the only person who could change it. And um, we talk specifically about the fact that the psalm deals with God's reaction to the people. Each one of the people yell out, Lord, help. And then it details after that how God reacts to their call, how he um, heals their situation, how he, he specifically meets them with what they need. But if you remember, uh, last week what I started telling you about is that I, I think it's, it's different in this. We must pair a, a psalm like that with New Testament knowledge that we have. And the verse that I pointed you guys to is 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven, which says this, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. And we talked about this, but Basically, what this verse says is that if we have a relationship with Christ, we then are a part of his body. And to take it a step further, what I'm trying to communicate to you is this, is we are his hands and feet. We are the means by which God responds to those in need. He's done it throughout history. Time and time again in the past, when his people called out to him, he used men to be able to lead his people forward, to be able to change circumstances. Um, Very, very rarely, sometimes he stepped in in a super miraculous way, but even in those times, normally the miraculous came on top of something that was very, very ordinary that he called an average man to do. And God often accomplishes these supernatural things through very seemingly natural 
ways in our hands, in our feet. And if we pair those things together, we start to see that God says that he'll, he'll meet these people in these different ways, but how he meets them, well, that's you and me. That's us who believe in Jesus, that we are the means by which God often meets these people, changes their circumstances, is by changing our heart and letting our hands and feet in reaction change their lives. Last week, we talked about um, the first group of people, which was hungry. And I told you that what's kind of cool about this is the way that in God's infinite creativity, the four different types of people, if you take the first letter of each one of them, it spells out help, which is our mission strategy. These are back at the back table if you ever want to read more in depth. And as I go forward, I'll tell you more about that. This week, though, we're talking about uh, the second group of people that are in Psalm 107. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 107, 10 through 16. If not, it'll be up here for you guys to read. But I want to read this section of the psalm with you and identify this second group of people that we're going to talk about. Psalm 107, starting in verse 10. It says, Some sat in darkness and deepest gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. They rebelled against the words of God, scorning the counsel of the Most High. That is why he broke them with hard labor. They fell and no one was there to help them. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He led them from the darkness and deepest gloom. He snapped their chains. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he's done for them. For he broke down their prison gates of bronze and he cut apart their bars of iron. The second group of people that we're going to talk about today is specifically those who are enslaved. And these these four different types of people, they have high magnitude in the idea of, of the world around us. There's these four different things really represent those people around the world that are calling out to God in, in desperation, in need of supernatural intervention, in need of some sort of something has to break because we can't fix it on our own. And the second that I said I'm going to talk to you about today is, is the enslaved. Verse 16 gives God's reaction to these people. They call out, Lord help. And verse 16 of this, if you look at it, is his reaction. It says, he broke down their their prison gates of bronze. He cut apart their bars of iron. Now, if we are God's hands and feet, that then means that our calling, that our reaction to the enslaved must be that we we break down the prison gates of bronze, that we cut apart the bars of iron. I know many of you guys, when I even say this, you think slavery, well, slavery's over. We, we beat that. That was, that was back in, in history. I remember learning about it in school. But slavery, that's over with. We don't deal with that anymore. You know, we fought through that, and we're past that. We're past that as a globe. But the reality is, is, is man, frighteningly, we're not. Right now, it's estimated that 27 million people are entrapped in slavery. To put that in perspective, that's more people than ever before in history, even back when we understood slavery in the United States of America. More than ever before. And the scary thing is, is it's not a stagnant number. It's a number that continues to grow every single day. People are sold to be indentured servants, sold into labor camps, sold into forced military service, and sold into sexual exploitation. Human trafficking, get this, is the number two organized crime in the world, only behind drugs. For organized crime, trafficking human beings is the number two way that organized crime can make money. The most lucrative of this is sadly uh, sex slave trafficking, which is even more terrible. 
Trafficking for sexual exploitation counts for 90% of that $32 billion. Although it's only $1.5 million of the $27 million, it accounts for 90% of that. The reason why that's really terrifying and it makes sense is this, though. Most of that trafficking happens in developed areas that we live in, places like Europe, places like the United States. And this is even more frightening. The United States is one of the demand countries, not one of the supply countries. Places like the Ukraine is a supply country. Over 400,000 women have been stolen from the Ukraine in the last decade and forced into, into sex slavery. The United States is a demand country. We're the consumer, like many other European countries. Scary. In Europe, in Europe, what's sad is 1%, 1% of these women will be rescued. And even more disgusting, only 0.00001% of those who traffic will be convicted. That's one in 100,000 will be convicted for these crimes that they do. It's estimated right now that 100,000 children are forced into prostitution or pornography each year in the United States of America. In the United States of America, 100,000 each year forced into this. And of these slaves, 75% are women, 50% are children. Over half are minors, 75% are women. Shocking? Shocking? It should be. When we meet these kinds of these facts, these kinds of things, we have to put it in perspective to our faith. And I can tell you, without a doubt, that this is not okay in the eyes of our Lord. It's not okay in the eyes of our Father. Equality is foundational. It is foundational to the Lord. That's one of the reasons why he sent Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.28 literally says this, There is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. He says the reason I sent Jesus, one part of it is that it's a completely equal playing field with Jesus. Whether you're a different race, whether you're a different sex, whether or not you're free or you're a slave at the time, none of that matters. You all have equal access to your Lord. It makes no difference. He leveled the playing field across every single one of the things. He made each person equal. Each person had the same opportunity. And the idea of someone being treated as less than human by being trafficking stands right in the face of who our Lord is. One of the things we said from day one at Acts Church is, is we tolerate a lot of issues that people carry with them. One of the things we don't tolerate in our church is racism. Absolutely stands in offense to God. Sexism, racism, treating someone like they're less of a human being for something as stupid as that stands in complete opposition of our Lord. God hates, he hates this, this inequality and he also hates injustice. Human trafficking going unpunished. We know it has to break our Father's heart. We know it has to infuriate him. In Psalm 37, 28, it says this, For the Lord loves justice. Well, you can turn that the other way. Because if the Lord loves justice, he hates injustice. He has to hit the opposite as well, too. And this broad misuse of human life, it has to be infuriating for our Lord. It has to be something that he absolutely despises and hates. Now, 
If you guys have been out in the world for a while, you've been a Christian for a while, someone would hear what I'm saying and they'd say, well, how can you say that? The Bible talks about slavery all the time. The Bible, it condones slavery. First of all, if someone says that to you, slap them first, just right across the face. Then run them back on the truth because how, how just absolutely asinine that, that statement is. The Bible does not condone slavery. The Bible condemns slavery. Exodus 21.16 literally says kidnappers must be put to death, whether they are caught in possession of their victims or have already sold them as slaves. The Bible says it is not acceptable to steal somebody and force them into slavery. Not acceptable at all. Now, does the Bible talk about slavery? Absolutely it does, because the Bible is not only just a bunch of words of what should be done, the Bible is an account of history. Slavery was very real when the Bible was written. And the Bible addresses those things, but what we don't understand, what most people don't understand, is that slavery was actually a lot different when you talk about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when they were talking about slavery, people would actually voluntarily put themselves in a place of slavery. If you had a gigantic debt that you couldn't pay, you would literally go to the market with a number of your debt. Someone would buy you for that debt. You would work for them for the period of time until you could get that amount of money, and you would pay off your debt. It was a voluntary slavery to get out. There was no such thing as welfare at a time like that. If you literally could not afford to keep a roof over your head, to keep food in your stomach, you would take and you would go and sell yourself as a slave and say, I'll work for you, I'll do whatever you want me to, as long as you put a roof over my head, you put food in my stomach. And there were people who it says in the Bible even became slaves, and then when their time finished out of being a slave, they actually stayed. And there's even statements in the Bible about how a man can stay on as a slave because he loves his master, the man who was taking care of them, how he can raise his family underneath that. It's all very, very realistic, but it was completely different. On top of all of that, slaves could only be really kept for seven years. Every seven years, you had to cancel all debts. And on top of all that, there was a year every 50 years called the year of Jubilee in which all debts had to be canceled. So 50 years came between the seven years, then you had to release somebody even earlier. There were all these things. The Bible never condones slavery. Does it talk about it? Of course, because it was very real. But when you read it, you see God's heart. The statements are talking about slaves obeying their masters while they're in that position. But then on the exact same side, it talks about how then masters don't ever falsely accuse your slaves. Don't ever beat your slaves. Don't ever take advantage of those people who are working for you for this time to go easy on them, to treat them as brothers and sisters. The statements are very, very pure if you actually read them. And in the New Testament, people will talk about how there's slavery in the New Testament as well, too. Yes, and this is what's really interesting. In the New Testament, slavery very often was that kind of kidnapping slavery, but it was not being done by the Christians. It was being done by the Romans, and the Christians were the ones being kidnapped. So when Paul's talking about slavery, very often he was addressing it to Christians who were enslaved, and what his statement to them was, was that you don't have to be a free man in order to be free spiritually. What he was saying is that although you are enslaved right now, that doesn't say anything about who you are spiritually. You can be a slave still under captivity, which isn't okay with God, but you don't have to run away from your slave and risk being killed and all that to be a free man of God. You can still worship God. You can still honor him with the work that you do. And when he said those things to him, he was actually encouraging them that although you're in a situation that isn't great, it even says once, if you can become free, become free. But you can also just stay right where you're at and still serve God even though you're in a position of slavery. Philemon was a one-page book in the Bible, if you ever want to read it. It's all the way back in the Old Testament, I mean the New Testament. Paul writes it to a slave owner. 
And it was about a slave who had gotten away and come to meet with Paul. Paul had talked to him, and the slave had given his life to Jesus. And he sends him back to his owner. But he sends him back with a letter, and he says to him, take this letter with him. And the letter addresses to this slave owner how this man, he's a believer in Christ, and he comes back to you not as a slave, but as a brother. Man, Paul's words are are very, very clear, the fact of, of how God interprets slavery. That he said, no, this man is a brother. He doesn't come back to you as a slave. The Bible is very, very anti-slavery in the idea that we come at. The idea of someone being forced, held against their will to serve. Completely against. And we know this also by looking at Jesus, because if you ever want to know God's heart, you look at Jesus. Jesus is a, he's a depiction. He's a view of God's heart. So what he did when he's here on earth, he shows visibly, tangibly, while he's here on earth, God's heart. And we can look at, at Jesus and we can see some ideas of this. I just want to show you two real quick ones. We know when Jesus was here, despite what most of the culture was doing at the time, this is really interesting, he loved children. Most of the culture was very, very skeptical of kids. They didn't let kids worship with the adults. They were kept away. They were very, very not very valued at all, more so just as the fact that a man needs to have kids as a possession. It's, it's part of his inheritance and that. But Jesus was completely different. There's a story in Matthew 19, 13 through 15. And it says, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. See, that was their old way of thinking. Right away, they're like, you don't bring your kids to talk to Jesus. He's busy, right? But Jesus said, no, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. And we see Jesus valued children far more than society did at the time. I I can't even imagine the, the blush on the men's face that when they were thinking, I'm really in, in charge, he pointed to kids and he said, you've got to become a lot more like those guys. They have it figured out more than you do right now, to be honest with you. We see that he valued people more than even society did at the time. It made clear as well, too, while Jesus was here, over and over again, he made clear there is no such thing as classes of people. There is no thing between poor and rich. Over and over again, Jesus would talk about how important it is that you don't mistreat those who are poor, and you don't take and you don't give people who are rich some sort of leg up. He talks about how funny it is that you take and you you treat these rich people so well, but they're the ones who hate you. They're the ones who prosecute you. The poor people are the ones who actually like you, and you treat them poorly. There's a story in Matthew 25, uh, 31 through 46. I'm not going to put it up here, but I'm just going to run it down for you real quick. And the story goes where Jesus is talking about the end times. And he says, there's going to be a day where you all stand in front of God, and he's going to separate you. He's going to say, you know, you guys, you guys are coming into the kingdom of heaven. And he says, because when I was, when I was sick, man, you took care of me. When I was in jail, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And the people say, we don't remember seeing you, Jesus. When, when, did, when did we clothe you? When did we come visit you? And he says, when you took care of the least of my brothers and sisters, that's when you took care of me. I knew your heart there. Then he turns to the other people and he says, you know what, you're not making it. He says, you're not going to make it in the kingdom of heaven. He says, because when I was sick, you didn't come help me. When I was in jail, you didn't come visit me. And when I was naked, you didn't clothe me. And they said, we never saw you. We never had an opportunity. And he says, when you didn't do it, for those people who are the least, man, my brothers and sisters, You didn't do it for me either. And Jesus says, man, what an example of your heart. He says, you guys are making it into the kingdom. You aren't. Man, Jesus, he he shows a picture of of God's heart that he was so in love with even those that the the world counted out. 
You know, the children, they didn't value them, and, and God valued them so much that although the world would make these classifications and split people up and rich and poor, Jesus said, don't you ever do that. You treat everyone equally. You treat everyone equally. And both of these stand in, in such a sharp opposition to human trafficking, in such sharp opposition to the fact that so many children so many children being abused. The fact of so many people being treated as less than human, it stands in opposition to God's heart. It is against what he cares for. You know, all the time in churches, all the time in churches we talk about this thing about how we need to love what Jesus loved. I'm sure you've heard some sort of derivation on that in your life going to a church service about the things that Jesus loved, we must love. But you know what no one ever says that we need to hear? The things that Jesus hates, we must hate. The same is true. Yeah, we must love what Jesus loved, but we have to hate what Jesus hates. The same exact thing. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27 that we are his body. We're part of him. And that means that if he hates something, we must hate something too. That if something like human trafficking stands in complete opposition to the heart of God, that he hates it and it breaks our heart, then our reaction must be the same. We have to hate it. It has to break our heart. It has to change us. We need to start praying on a daily basis. Lord, help me love what you love and hate what you hate. Hate what you hate. It's going to keep us away from bad things for us. It's going to keep us from walking down wrong paths. It's going to keep us from living complacent lives where we don't actually be God's hands and feet. Once you realize that you're called to not only love like God, but hate like God, things like this injustice just simply can't be taken. It has to change. And your heart begins to change, and then your hands and feet begin to follow. Isaiah 58, 6. A command from the Lord, it says this, free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Listen to the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Man, it's right there in the Bible. It's right there, God said, this is what you need to be doing. This is what you need to be doing as people who follow me. You need to be freeing people who are, who are chained, who are imprisoned. Psalm 107, 16 the reaction in that, in that psalm, the whole one we're focusing on, this is God's reaction. He broke down their prison gates of bronze. He cut apart their bars of iron. We are his hands and feet, which means we must be doing this. We must break down the gates of bronze. We must cut apart the bars of iron. We must. You know, this is a little bit off topic, but I just thought I needed to address it too. If it's your first time here, please don't be offended. But this issue, this issue comes down to the heart of men. This whole industry, this whole industry is built on top of the broken hearts of men. There is no industry if there is no men who are providing the finance for this industry. And I understand that all you men out there, that you guys would all probably say, I would never be part of this. I would never, I would never go visit a, a woman who was in slavery. I would never traffic someone. I would never do this. But I just want to say this to you clearly. If you're a Christian, every time you look at pornography, you cast a vote for human trafficking. 
Every time you look at pornography and you engage in things that are not right for you to see, you are casting a vote, a vote for human trafficking because you are casting your vote that that's okay and you're casting your vote towards the debauchery and the brokenness of men's hearts. And every single time you look at that, I hope that that haunts you, that the fact is that you're looking at someone's, someone's daughter, someone's girlfriend, someone's mom, and that that vote is, is helping propel such a terrible, such a horrible industry. I hope it's shocking. I hope that helps you stop. Not just makes you feel bad, but how about actually get help? Instead of just being a prideful man where you'll say, I'll deal with it, go and talk to somebody. Tell them you have a problem. Start getting accountability. Get software on your computer. Fix something instead of just doing it over and over and over again. With any calling, with any mission, with any reality where we see something like this and it starts to affect us, it starts to shock us, it starts to alarm us, it starts to change us a little bit. The mission starts to become real in our hearts. We're faced with this question. And it's no different with today's message with the idea of enslavement. You have to ask yourself this question, am I okay with this? Am I okay with this? Because walking away and doing nothing is the same as saying that you're okay with it. Hearing all these things and understanding these things and and believing these things, but then walking away, you're saying that it's sad, but it doesn't really affect me too much. I'm okay with that. You have to decide today, are you okay with millions of people being turned into slaves? Are you okay with millions of women and children being forced into labor? Are you okay with millions of women and children being forced into sexual slavery? James one twenty seven says this, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. I want to say this. Don't fool yourself into thinking that your religion is true because you love church services. Because the Bible says true religion is caring for widows and orphans. You notice it didn't say anything about how often you want to go to church. It didn't say anything about how often you pray. It said, man, true religion is not being able to turn your backs on those people who are broken. This issue, this issue of enslavement, of human trafficking, 75% of that industry falls into that category. Three quarters are women, 50% are children. Three quarters of this industry falls into whether or not your religion, your religion is true or not. You have to do something if you're not okay with it. We have to hate injustice. We have to hate the things that he hates. And we need to realize that if we are his hands and feet, but we are not pursuing the things that Jesus hates, if we're not cutting through the bars, if we're not breaking down the gates, then we're not doing what we're called to do. If you remember how I started this message, I started it with, uh, with a song. Jesus loves the little children, right? And did you know that there were actually verses to that song? 
Were you ever taught the verses or were you just taught the choruses? Just the chorus. That's what I was always taught, was just the chorus. It turns out there were actually verses. There are three verses written for this. And what's interesting is when you read these verses in, in the light of thinking of all these children who are caught up in slavery, while they have, they have painful beauty in them. Let me read these two for you. It says, Jesus calls the children dear. Come to me and never fear, for I love the little children of the world. I will take you by the hand, lead you to the better land, for I love the little children of the world. Jesus is the shepherd true, and he'll always stand by you, for he loves the little children of the world. He's the savior great and strong, and he'll shield you from the wrong, for he loves the little children of the world. And what great words of love from Jesus to children. But the thing is, is like I told you at the beginning, is we're his hands and feet. We're his hands and feet, and there must be some sort of reaction to that, because if that's what Jesus, his reaction is to it, then our reaction must be the same. But you know what's funny is, I guess maybe back in, in 1900, people understood that better than we do nowadays, because listen to the third verse of this song. I am coming, Lord, to thee, and your soldier I will be, for you love the little children of the world. And your cross I'll always bear, and for you I'll do and dare, for you love the little children of the world. For you I'll do and dare, for you love the little children of the world. Wow. That third verse is our exact calling. He loves the children of the world, and we would say, man, willing to be the soldier, willing to carry the cross, willing to do and dare, to be your hands and feet to save these children that need our help. If God's changed your heart, I pray that your hands and your feet will follow. Pray with me for a second. God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you for the calling that you've placed on our lives. We thank you, Lord, that part of your mission, Lord, that part of your mission is these who are enslaved. And we ask, God, that those whose hearts are being wrecked today, that you wouldn't just let it be fruitless pain, But Lord, instead, out of that, you would bring justice, that you would bring our hands and feet following yours, that we would follow you, that we would accomplish your will. In Jesus' name we pray. I want to continue by saying this. During this message, obviously, it's it's hard to hear. It's hard to hear because of the idea of slavery, and it's hard to hear um, because of so many that are are taken advantage of. And I realize that that obviously none of us here are, are slaves. None of us are in slavery. None of us have our, our freedoms taken away. But the reality is, is you might be involved with a completely different kind of slavery, a completely different, and that's one to our own sin. The Bible makes it really clear. It says that, that when we walk through this life, what happens is we keep racking up a debt as we do things that are against God's nature. And that, that debt keeps on getting more and more oppressive, and that sin that we turn to for fun, it starts to become this oppressive thing that hangs on us. And before long, the reality is, is we become slaves to that sin. We want to quit, but we can't. We want to change, but we can't. We want to do better, but we can't. But the reality is, is Jesus came to this earth to pay for that debt. He came to set us free. That same calling that he had where he says that he breaks down the the bronze gates he cuts through the iron bars he did the exact same thing for us spiritually listen to this first john 8 34 through 36 jesus replied i tell you the truth everyone who sins is a slave to sin a slave is not a permanent member of the family but a son is part of the family forever so if the son 
And what's interesting is that second son is capitalized because he was talking about himself. And he says, if the son sets you free, then you're free indeed. Jesus came here to pay for our debt. That's what he did when he went to that cross, is he paid for all of that debt that stood against us, that made us slaves to that sin, and he paid for it when he went to the cross. And Jesus invites each and every one of us to create a relationship with him, to begin living, man, a life of freedom, to be able to live a life where we live in partnership with him, where we let him guide our steps. And it's amazing. I I, want to do this this morning. If you just close your eyes one more time this morning, I just want to offer this. If there's anybody here today that says, you know, I'm not involved in slavery, but man, my heart is enslaved. My heart is enslaved. I am, I am a slave to sin. And if that's you this day and you say, you know what, I need Jesus. I need Jesus to pay for this sin, to take it away from me. If that's you, no one's looking around. Three, two, one, just raise your hand above your head. No one's looking. You just raise your hand above your head. Yeah, I see your hand, ma'am. I see your hand back there, sir. I see your hand, sir. I see your hand, ma'am. Anyone else today? Just you and God. No one else is looking. If you say, that's what I need. Let's pray together with these who just raised their hand for the first time. Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying in my place. Please become the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. For you guys who raised your hand for the first time or perhaps rededicating your life, man, Jesus Christ just said that he paid for those sins and you can begin to live a free life, walking out your faith, man, freely. And we are so happy to join with you today. You guys who raised your hands for the first time, you guys, I would, I would ask you to stop by guest services. Man, grab a Bible, read about Jesus. He's gonna change your life from here on out. I guarantee you from today on, your life will not be the same. Jesus will change it. Thank you guys for being here. Come on back next week.